Our scripture passage for today comes from James chapter 1, verses 26 and 27. If anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction, and to keep oneself unstained from the world. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please pray with me. Father, now we ask that your grace and mercy would be upon us as we now prepare ourselves to hear from your word. Father, we are in desperate need of your word now more than ever, especially in this season where there is nothing but vitriol and, and venom and threats and condemnation being spewed all around us. Father, we need the words that only you can give us, for it is only in your words that we find purpose, peace, comfort, and conviction. So, Lord, would you give us these things now, because we, your people, are hungering for your word to feed us, to equip us, and therefore to live out the purposes in which you call us to do, so that we could be a blessing to the world. Father, we pray that you would bless this message, in spite of the one who brings it, for we ask in Jesus' name, amen and amen. Do you have a pure faith? Do you have a faith that's uncorrupted, that's uncontaminated, that's unsoiled, that's unspoiled? Do you have a faith that is pure? I ask this because this seems to be the growing concern for so many Christians today, especially during this political and social climate that we're in right now, whether the topic of discussion is COVID-19, Donald Trump, BLM, critical race theory, social Marxism, masks, no masks. We are living in a time and age where so many Christians want to make sure that their faith is not getting co-opted and corrupted by the underlying values, ideologies, and beliefs of a world that is in active rebellion against God. We want to ensure that our faith is pure because after all, our Lord Jesus himself has told us in Matthew chapter 5, verse 8, that it is those who are pure in heart, they're the ones who are going to see God. And so I ask you once again, Christian, do you have a pure if you find yourself having a hard time answering that question in the affirmative, fret not, because here in our passage today in James chapter 1, the Apostle James is going to teach us how to make sure that our faith is pure, but it's going to be in a manner in which many of us may not be very familiar with. Quite honestly, it might be very foreign to us, because it all has to do with this idea of ensuring that we hear the right voice and not listening to the wrong voice. So. With that in mind, three things that the Apostle James is going to tell us on how to make sure that our faith is pure. First, he's going to talk about the voice we should never listen to. Then he's going to talk about the voice we hardly ever listen to but should. And then he's going to end it with how to make sure we listen to that voice that we should. The voice we should never listen to, point one. The voice we hardly ever listen to but should, point two. And finally, point three, how to make sure we listen to that voice that we should be listening to. So let's begin with the first point, the voice we should never listen to. Read again with me verse 26 of our passage where James writes the following, If anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. Okay, so right off the bat, James begins by telling us how someone's faith, or as he puts it, someone's religion is worthless, or and another way to put it, impure or not pure. It's someone who does not bridle his own tongue. 
Now, what in the world does he mean by that statement? What is all this talk of bridling the tongue? What does that mean? Well, let's think about it for a moment. What is a bridle? A bridle is a headpiece that you put on the head of a horse so you can control the animal. Now, with that in mind, we ask, what is James trying to convey by associating this idea of a bridle to the human tongue? What is the connection here? Well, if you think about it, it's actually quite profound because what James is trying to tell us is that the human tongue is like a wild, dangerous animal that can wreak havoc into your life if you do not control it. Now, later in chapter 3, he's going to go into further detail talking about the various dangers of the human tongue. But here in our passage, he wants to spotlight a specific danger of the human tongue that we need to be especially aware of. And it's all centered on that one word that he uses in this verse, the word deceive. Deceive. You see, according to the Apostle James, what makes the human tongue especially dangerous is because it has the power to deceive. And come to find, as we read throughout the Bible, we see this same warning being heeded to us over and over and over again. Consider the following sampling. First, Proverbs chapter 6, starting in verse 20, we read, My son, obey your father's commands and don't neglect your mother's instruction. Keep their words always in your heart. Tie them around your neck. It will keep you from the immoral woman, from the smooth tongue of a promiscuous woman. And then Proverbs 21, Wealth created by a lying tongue is a vanishing mist and a deadly trap. Psalm 5, My enemies cannot speak a truthful word. Their deepest desire is to destroy others. Their talk is foul like the stench from an open grave. Their tongues are filled with flattery. According to the Bible, one of the most dangerous parts of the human body is the human tongue because it has the atrocious power to deceive. But here's where it gets interesting. James is not simply repeating the general warning of the deceptive power of the human tongue. Actually, he wants to take it one step further by making us be aware of a particular danger of the deceptive tongue. So let me read to you verse 26 to see if you can catch on to what that particular danger is. He says again, If anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his heart. Did you catch that? Did you hear the human tongue, according to James, is so dangerous, not only because it has the power to deceive other people, but also because it has the power to deceive the one to whom it is attached to. Consider these insightful words from New Testament scholar Dan McCartney as he comments on this very verse when he writes, quote, James puts not controlling the tongue and deceiving the heart in parallel, both as evidence for vanity. In Romans 16, verse 18, Paul warns against those who by smooth talk and flattery deceive the hearts of the naive. An unbridled tongue can deceive even the tongue's owner, end quote. As crazy as it sounds, James is telling us that the tongue is so dangerously deceptive that it can not only deceive those around the person speaking, but it also can deceive the person speaking themselves, the owner of the tongue. So what does this tell us? It tells us that one of the voices that you and I should not be listening to is the voice that is produced by our own tongues. Let me say that again. One of the voices Scripture teaches us that we should not be easily listening to, easily heeding, is the voice that's formed by our own tongue. Now you might be thinking to yourself, how do you make sense of that, Pastor John? What is it about my own tongue to where if I listen to what it is saying, I get duped, I get deceived, I get influenced, not informed, I become an idiot? 
Well, maybe this story could help. Back in 2013, Albright College down in Pennsylvania did an intriguing study where they came to find that most people in general love the sound of their own voice over the sound of other people's voices. Isn't that weird? According to this study, most people love to hear their own voice rather than the sound of other people's voices. And I want to read to you uh, the article that was reporting on this study because it explains why this is so. It writes this, quote, A study from Albright College has found that people actually prefer the sound of their own voices. Imagine that. In an unwitting assessment of their own voices versus other people's voices, 80 men and women were attracted to their own voices more than others. People generally tend to have an enhanced sense about themselves, said Susan Hughes, an author of the study. Given this age of heightened narcissism, Hughes added, this study provides further evidence that individuals seem to inflate their opinions of themselves by thinking the sound of their own voice is more attractive, end quote. According to this study, people love the sound of their own voice, not because they think it sounds objectively better than other people's voices, but rather because they see themselves as objectively better than the people around them. In other words, people love the sound of their own voice because they simply think that they are far superior, more special, far more significant than anyone else. I call what I'm talking about to you right now the Kanye West deception. The Kanye West deception. I'm sure all of you have heard by now what happened to poor Kanye this past week where he was down in South Carolina going on a rant where he said some really ridiculous things, particularly about Harriet Tubman. And yet when I read this story, it didn't really shock me because this is the same individual who many years ago said these very words, quote, I will go down as the voice of this generation of this decade. I will be the loudest voice. Hmm. Now, Christian, I can bet that I know what you're thinking right now. You're hearing all this talk about self-deception, overinflated, narcissistic, self-absorbed superiority, and you're thinking to yourself, Pastor, that ain't me. I don't have this problem that James is talking about because first of all, I ain't Kanye. <laughs> and second of all, I'm a Christian. I'm a follower of Jesus. So clearly that should show that I would never see myself in such a self-deceived way. Now I'll grant, yes, you're not Kanye, right? But I'm not going to simply let you off the hook with this whole, oh, I'm a Christian, therefore I'm immune to this kind of self-deception. Because as our text clearly shows us, given that James is addressing Christians, James is telling us that it is possible to think you're not deceived in this way when in fact that you are. And so James wants to make sure that we have a way of figuring out, of making sure that we are not deceived into thinking that we're not deceived. And it all centers on this idea of making sure that we hear another voice that far too often too many of us don't hear. What do I mean by that? Well, let me go to my next point to explain the voice we hardly listen to but should. Let's read again verse 27 where James writes this, Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction. Here James tells us how you can tell whether or not you have a pure faith. It will manifest in you visiting orphans and widows. Visiting orphans and widows. And notice how James goes on to further describe these orphans and widows. What are they described as? They're orphans and widows who are visited in their affliction. In their affliction. Now, why does James add that qualifying statement in their affliction? Well, if you read the Bible, you can easily figure out the answer because one of the things that you see throughout Scripture is that whenever it's describing a group of people who are being marginalized, who are being oppressed, who are being afflicted, like widows and orphans, 
is that they always tend to cry out, to lift up their voices. Let me show you. Exodus chapter 3, verse 7 says this, Then the Lord told Moses, I have certainly seen the oppression of my people in Egypt. I have heard their cries of distress because of their harsh slave drivers. Yes, I am aware of their suffering. Psalm 18, verse 6, In my distress I cried out to the Lord. Yes, I prayed to my God for help. He heard me from his sanctuary. My cry to him reached his ears. In Job 39, 35 verse 9. People cry out when they are oppressed. They groan beneath the power of the Almighty. Over and over, you see this same behavioral pattern of whenever a group of people are being marginalized, being afflicted, being oppressed in distress, is that they will cry out. They will lift up their voices so that it would be heard. So with that in mind, when James says that a person of pure faith will manifest that pure faith by visiting widows and orphans, what he's really saying is that the way you can tell whether or not your faith is pure is that it will be able, it will enable you to hear the voice of the poor, to hear the cries of the afflicted, the oppressed, the broken, and forgotten. Let me say that again. The way you can tell that you have faith that is truly pure is that you're able to hear the voice of the poor, the oppressed, the broken, forgotten, and forsaken. Now, do you realize what this means? It means if you consider yourself to be a genuine disciple of Jesus, and yet the concerns of the poor are never your concern, you really have to question that profession of faith of yours. Because James tells us that a person of pure faith will be capable of hearing the poor. And if you're not capable of hearing the poor, that only means one thing. The voices of the poor are being drowned out because you're obsessively hearing another voice instead. And that is your own voice. This is how you can tell whether or not you've allowed your tongue to deceive you. Whether you're suffering from Kanye West deception. The voice of the poor are never heard in your heart. Which is simply another way of saying you don't care about the poor. You're not concerned about their plight. And listen, you don't have to take my word for it, but you do have to take Jesus' word for it. Consider what Jesus says in Luke chapter 12, starting in verse 16, we read, He, Jesus, told them a story. A rich man had a fertile farm that produced fine crops. He said to himself, what should I do? I don't have rooms for all my crops. Then he said, I know, I'll tear down my barns and build bigger ones. Then I'll have room enough to store all my wheat and other goods. And I'll sit back and say to myself, my friend, you have enough stored away for years to come. Now take it easy, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, you fool, you will die this very night. Then who will get everything you worked for? Notice, the man in this parable is hearing a voice. Whose voice is he hearing? His own. And what does God refer to this man in verse 20 for hearing his own voice? He calls him a fool. A fool. Why? Consider this explanation from New Testament scholar Husta Gonzalez when he writes this, quote, the man in the parable is a fool, not only because he thinks he can secure his own life, but also because he acts as if there were no God. Presumably, he is part of the people of God. And he knows that in the Hebrew scriptures, God repeatedly commends those in need to the care of those who have resources. This man knows this, and yet he ignores it, end quote. This man is a fool because he believes that his problems, his concerns, his issues are a greater priority than the problems, concerns, and issues of the poor. 
because he can only hear his own voice, a voice which over-exaggerates his problems and underestimates the problem of the poor, evidenced by the fact that he spends all of his time, all of his energy, all of his money on trying to silence the voice that he hears by trying to satisfy its demands. That's why God calls him a fool. Now let me ask you an honest question, Christian. Do you spend all of your time, all of your energy, all of your money in silencing the voice of your own tongue? Or have you ever used it to silence the voice of the poor because you've satisfied their cries? Here's the sad reality. Many Christians today, many Christian leaders today have played the fool of this parable in Luke chapter 12. Far too many. I know I have. A few years ago, Pastor Rick Warren, in a sobering confession, once confessed these words in an interview he did for Christianity Today. Take a listen to what he said. Quote, A few years ago, Kay, his wife, read a news magazine article about AIDS orphans in Africa. Until then, she had no idea about the magnitude of AIDS, specifically that 12 million children were orphaned in Africa due to AIDS. The article ripped the blinders off her eyes, and she couldn't stop thinking about it. A month later, she began to talk to me about it, and I said, that's great, honey. I'm going to support you. But it's not my vision. But as Kay began to read more articles and tell me about them, I began to sense that AIDS and these orphans were not only dear to Kay's heart, they were also very dear and near to God's heart. And we had been missing it. God used Kay to grab my heart. Kay went to Africa and came back saying, you have to go. So, in 2003, we went to Johannesburg to help lead an AIDS HIV conference. That trip changed me. When I went back to re-examine scripture, I found those 2,000 verses on the poor, and I burst into tears. How did I miss that? I went to Bible college, two seminaries, and I got a doctorate. How did I miss God's compassion for the poor? I was not seeing all the purposes of God. Listen, when the man who wrote The Purpose Driven Life confesses that he was deaf to one of the core purposes that God calls his people to live out, compassion for the poor, outward compassion, then you better believe that any of us, that all of us, can be and are guilty of being deaf to the poor as well. And so the question that I have to ask of you and myself is, how do we make sure that we have a pure faith? How do we make sure that we're not guilty of this same kind of sin or that we stop sinning this particular sin? Well, this leads me to my final point, how to make sure we listen to that voice. Let's read again verse 27, but this time I want you to pay attention to the last statement that he ends verse 27 with. James again writes, Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. To keep oneself unstained from the world. That right there, folks, is how you and I are able to stop listening to our own voices and start listening to the voice of the poor. We must keep ourselves unstained from the world. But what does that mean? What does he mean by that statement? Well, most people interpret that statement to mean that James is imploring us to not live in immorality or to live unrighteous lives or to live in sin, right? Now, don't sleep around, don't get intoxicated, don't cheat on your taxes or, or, or what have you. And sure, that may be part of what James is saying, but you know what? James is saying so much 
more. Take a listen to how Nancy Piercy, a Christian philosopher, how she explains what James is saying, because I think she hits the nail on the head. She writes, when we read James' injunction to keep oneself unstained from the world, we tend to interpret that in strictly moral terms, as an injunction not to sin. But it also means to keep ourselves unstained from the world's wrong way of thinking, its faulty worldviews. We must learn how to identify and resist the false worldviews dominant at our moment in history, end quote. To keep oneself unstained from the world essentially means that you stop thinking the way the world thinks. That's what it means. But of course that begs the question, what does it mean to not think the way the world thinks? Well, I already told you the answer. You see, the world tells us that our voice is the most important voice to listen to. In other words, the world teaches us that we should love the sound of our own voice. To our like Kanye, to our like the fool of the parable in Luke 12, we see the only voice that matters is the one that cries out about our expectations, our desires, our demands, and our wishes. Right? To the point that it drowns out any other legitimate voices that we should be hearing and yet tragically don't like the cries of the poor. And James says, no, don't do that. Don't let your mind get corrupted. Do not think the way the world thinks. But again, we ask, well, how do we do that? Well, the answer is quite simple. It's by remembering the gospel. Remembering the gospel. Because what is the gospel? The gospel is the good news that tells me two things. First, it tells me I'm an absolute nobody. I am so insignificant. I am nothing. Absolute zero because I am a sinner. I am a person filled with shame, perversity, sinisterness, wickedness. I am a sinner to where no one should be listening to my voice. No one. But yet the gospel goes on to tell me something else. The second thing, and that is God in spite of our sins, in spite of my sins, loves me so much that he's eager, he's waiting to hear, he's triggered to hear my voice whenever I lift it up. Why? Because he turned a deaf ear to his only begotten son as he cried out to God, as he was dying on the cross as our substitute savior. That's why. That is the gospel. You see, God the Son came into the world as Jesus Christ so He could take your place in suffering the punishment and condemnation that you deserve, which was not only hell, but to have silence from God in response to your cries to Him. That's what you deserve, but Jesus suffered that for you in His place. And as a result, if you turn away from your sin through repentance and put your faith in Jesus as Lord and Savior, that means instead of having a deaf ear to God, you're going to have open ears from God because he has opened his heart towards you through the blood of Christ. That is what the gospel teaches. And here's the thing. When you finally realize that is the only reason God considers your voice worthy of being heard because of what Jesus has done, all of a sudden, you're going to hear the voices of the poor, the oppressed, the marginalized, the forgotten. Because Jesus suffering the deaf ear of God the Father on the cross shatters the deluded assumption that makes you deaf to the poor in the first place. It shatters the assumption, the delusion that you are someone of worthwhileness, that you are someone of superiority, that you are so significant on your own. No, the cross shatters that about you. But it also picks you up and makes you whole by showing how deeply you're loved 
in a way that you don't are not deserving because you have a God, a Father, who is eager to hear and ready to hear whenever you cry out to Him. When you understand that, that will cause you to be able to imitate that same hearing ear to those who also cry for help the way you cried out to help to your God, your Father. NCF, do you have a pure faith? Do you have a faith that has not been corrupted by the world? The question is, do you hear the cry of the poor? The same question. And if your answer to both is no, then my only encouragement to you is, look to the cross. Look to the one who suffered the deaf ear of God so that your God would always hear your cries so that you will be transformed in hearing the cries that you should be listening to right here, right now. Let's pray. Father, I ask that you would help us to really examine ourselves. Father, we so are wanting to make sure right now in this heightened sense of vulnerability, of cancel culture, of social media scrutiny, of making sure that our faith has not become polluted, that it has not become corrupt. Father, we pray that we would look to this word and what it mandates of us so that our faith would truly be purified, that it would truly become pure. And let it begin by us looking to you, Jesus Christ, so that as we do, we can exhibit the fruit of that wonderful gospel truth in our hearts to where we would hear the cries of the poor and the oppressed. Would you help us to do that now so that we can truly live out our mandate of being a blessing to the world? For we ask in Jesus' name, amen and amen.